Y'all join me in prayer, please. Dear Lord, if you could be our vision, I mean, literally, as, as we go about our lives, in our work, uh, in our relationships, at St. Patty's Day parades, uh, spring break trips, careers, trajectories, Lord, what our lives would be like if we could just see you, see you in everything, see in our walk, see in each day, see in our plans, see you when we don't have plans and when we can't see, and we would just see you so we would have no fear to take any step. That is possible. That life is possible. Uh, I pray it for myself selfishly more. I pray it for this congregation more, and I pray for the individual lives and families here more, that you would be our vision. You'd be our vision not just for salvation and that we know we're going to heaven, but our vision that you've called us and you have a life for us and a plan for us. And even if we can't see the intricate details, we would know you're there and we would follow. I pray we would give ourselves totally unto you, completely, trust you for our lives, And trust that we don't have to measure up or earn anything because you see us as beautiful as your children, as sons and daughters of the ruler of the universe, of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you, Jesus. your name we pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. And uh, you can go ahead, if you haven't turned already, to, uh, to Matthew 26 passage that Jeremy read, verse 36 through 46, and doing something a little different uh, over Lent, we're, we're doing a series that we call Last Night, and we are looking at the last night before Jesus went to the cross, and we're looking at particular scenes that may be very familiar to us. Uh, that we may, may know and even uh, feel emotional about, and really ask why. You know, why did this happen? How did this uh, tie in with the, the overall weekend uh, of his death and ultimately his resurrection? See, because we know, or I think many of us know here in uh, Bible Belt land, we know these things. We know the Garden of Gethsemane. We know Jesus went to the trial. We know Jesus before Pilate. But a lot of us, we don't know why. We don't know the why that they happened. And it's very important for us, uh, as we move to Easter, to understand the why. Why he went to the cross. Why, why he died this death rather than another death. And I want to help us, as a church, uh, really experience this first Easter in this new home together. By maybe knowing Easter, what it means, the cross and the resurrection, uh, in a deeper way. And again, it's, it's easy to get like emotional. I mean, all, Lent, Holy Week, Easter, I mean, these are powerful times, powerful scenes, and powerful, you know, we get emotional about it, but really, the why leads to how we're saved, why what happened did. So today we're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now I'm a guy, my wife uh, and others could probably tell you, uh, I, love, I love like high drama. Uh, now I don't like high drama like in the home or family, but you know, we get it sometimes. But I like high drama in uh, theater, movies, you know, those powerful scenes. 
And this scene, the Garden of Gethsemane, there is really no higher drama uh, in all of history. So there's no way that I or really anybody else will do it justice. But we often don't see that. We see, okay, Jesus went to the garden, he prayed, and then, you know, he started going to the cross. But the war that was waging uh, spiritually, or you would call it behind the scenes or in the forefront that was going on here, uh, it is, uh, it's, it's the highest drama in all of history. I don't know if you know that or even believe that, but I believe that it is. And so I want to start and ask all of us a question. If you want to raise your hand, you can. But how many of y'all this week have experienced at least one, maybe all of these emotions? Have you experienced anxiety? Have you experienced depression? Have you experienced exhaustion? One of the three. I've experienced at least one. Anybody one? Okay. You don't have to say all three, but okay. Some have and some... I think all of us uh, get hit with anxiety. I think all of us can get hit with depression. I think all of us can get hit with uh, just exhaustion, mentally, uh, physically. None of that combined could compare with what Jesus is going through right here in terms of anxiety, yes, in terms of depression, despondency, yes, in terms of exhaustion in every facet, yes. His suffering is greater than, than any of us can imagine. So I want to answer or try to answer two simple questions today. Why did he have to suffer so much, Jesus, and what does it mean for us? Why did he have to suffer so much, what does it mean for us today? So why did he have to suffer so much? Okay, now, Sunday school answer, what we know, he died for our sins. We got that, but... You ever thought, like, why this death? I mean, why all this pain, all this anguish? I mean, beginning here at the garden, and this is just, this is just the beginning, leading to the cross. You know, it's kind of like, God, I mean, I, all right, die for sins, but couldn't you, like, I mean, he's your son? You know, like, I don't know, kind of let him slip away peacefully in the night, you know, and pass on? I mean, wouldn't that have accomplished that to die for our sins? So just like a, a, a decent death? Why, why all this pain? Look at verse 36, verse 36 and 37. It says, Jesus went with them to Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Uh, I don't know what you have thought about Gethsemane, but here it's, it's very easy to miss. And I'm doing something different today. We're really going to go deep into these scenes. But... Jesus took his disciples after the Last Supper, and they all kind of came to the garden. And then he took Peter, James, and John, and they went deeper and further into the garden. And immediately, immediately, as Jesus was walking, something began to overcome him. Immediately. I don't know if you saw that. They were walking, and he says he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Luke, in his gospel, said Jesus sweated drops of blood which is possible, I'm no doctor, we've got doctors here, but in states of severe shock, you can sweat blood. Sorrowful, troubled. What was happening? What, was, what had come upon Jesus? What was he going through? What was he feeling? What, was he, what is all this that began? I mean, what was coming down on Jesus? What was this mental and spiritual and physical anguish? 
I don't know if you've thought about this, but uh, many other Christians uh, died a better death than Jesus did. I'm not saying his was the greatest act. He's King of Kings, Lord and Lord. But I'm talking about the way they died. Think about it like this. All the uh, early church. I mean, Paul said, I would rather die and be with the Lord. I mean, Paul was wanting to embrace death. Uh, you can always think about the early church. You know, the story's thrown to lines. Willingly, Christians would willingly go to their death to be with the Lord. You know, being St. Patty's Day and all that, I was trying to think, well, did St. Patrick, how did he die? And I could tie in a St. Patrick story. Well, I think he just died like an average, you know, gentle death. So nothing there. But if you were like really Irish here, I don't know if we've got someone who's really, like not of descent, but you're going to be, you'd be uh, upset at me because there is an Englishman who died a, a pretty horrid death. I'm not going to get too graphic, don't worry, but in a, in a very great way. His name was Hugh, good name, Hugh Latimer. And in 1555, I love history, he was a, a preacher and brought the gospel to England and uh, he got in a bit of a tussle with a queen, I think, at the time. Maybe it was king and queen. And they're like, we're going to just burn him at the stake. They could do things like that. So this preacher, this Christian, was tied to a stake and, you know, going to be set on fire. Now then, uh, they say that uh, right before he died, he, he shouted out and said, Thank you, Lord, that you have given me this life, in this life, that I could preach and proclaim your good news, the gospel. And apparently there were people down watching him of the church, Christians, you know, who were crying upset. And he said, he said, be of good heart, be of good cheer, friends. For on this day we shall light a candle that will never go out. What I'm saying is like he boldly went to death and he was strong. Jesus here, Jesus is weak and troubled, sorrowful. You know, he's like, he's not, it's not going good here. Why is that? What was happening well, there's something greater than what any other, anybody else in history has ever faced. The clue is this, the cup. He mentions this cup three times. He says, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup, I don't want to drink it. What's the cup? A lot of times you think, okay, he's just using that as a metaphor. You know, I have to go through this. What's the cup? There's much more. In those times, people were executed by a cup, a cup of poison. And prophets before Jesus used this to talk about uh, something that God would do. Uh, one verse, it should be up on screen, Isaiah 51, 17. Isaiah says, Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. Another passage is in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 25, 15, and 16. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath. Interesting, the cup of the wine of wrath. And make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. This is the same cup Jesus is talking about. The cup that he was taking, the cup that he was praying, Lord, pass for me, was God's wrath, God's judgment on all human evil and sin. Jesus was taking it. Think about that. 
God's judgment on all evil, all human sin, Jesus was taking it all on himself for us. And that's why all these other believers, you could say, well, they, they died this great death. No one has ever experienced what Jesus went through on this night. Now, look, it's easy to read Scripture, and it's easy to know the story. And you're like, okay, I got this. Or, or maybe you're like, you know, God's wrath. Okay, I'm kind of getting uncomfortable here. Try to clear this up. Let me give you some images to think about. A lot of people, uh, many brilliant, much more brilliant than me, uh, writers and preachers, have, uh, have taught, written, communicated this scene. And some of the things they've talked about to try to help us see what Jesus was going through, the images. One is that, you know, Jesus is God. And Jesus has been with God, the Father, since the beginning, beginning of time. And even when He was on earth, I mean, He had this, this life that was connected to the Father. I mean, they were, they were just together and praying and being together. And here... One writer says it was like he began to pray to beseech God for help. And he literally saw God turning his back. How that must have felt when you had been with him forever. The Father, the Son, and turning away from him. Another, a poet actually wrote a poem about this. And that the Lord, Jesus, looked and hoping to see a glimpse of heaven instead saw the full brunt of hell before him. And another easier, right, for me it's easier to think about this. We all, or some of us know the, uh, the Sunday school story about Daniel. Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar threw the three guys into the furnace. I'm not going to try to pronounce it because I'd, I'd mess it up. But three men in the furnace, I hope you all know what I'm talking about. Well, when Nebuchadnezzar and all of his aides looked in, there was four men. There was a fourth man. And many people believe that was Jesus in the furnace. And so here, at this point, as Jesus was looking to God, looking at the cup, looking at what He was going to have to take on, He saw a furnace uh, much greater than anything He had ever experienced. And it was, it was trying to break Him. But Jesus didn't budge. He took it. He took it for us. That's why the suffering was so great. It was not just a death. It was the weight of God's judgment on all evil that had ever happened that ever would happen in humanity. Jesus was taking it on. Now this, if you're following me, and I hope you are, this is like heavy, this is heavy stuff. Sorry, but it's, it's Easter. It's heavy stuff. We've got to get this. This actually answers two big questions uh, that you, I know I have, like maybe debated or sat around you know, like when you're at a party or something, maybe folks debate this last night, you know, they're at a place or, you know, you start kind of putting your philosophy hat on. I was talking about this to an old friend who's here today. You're like, yeah, there's this guy, you'd always get philosophical, you know, why does God do this? He'd get us a guitar. And all the girls loved him. All, all the girls loved him, you know, and all those guys hated him. But anyway, you're just going to get all deep and like, you know, why does God... But here's the deep questions. I'm sorry, Beth. I love you, girl. Anyway, sorry. But uh, she didn't know I was going to throw that out. So you get around and you could say, you know, why does a loving God send people to hell? It's one of the deep questions, right? You're like, you're going to tackle this now? Yeah. This scene talks about this. You're like, I, I didn't pick that up. Sorry. We struggle with why would a loving God send people to hell? And we also, it's like, I, we don't want that. We don't want that at all. 
We want, we want a more loving God. We don't, we don't want to talk about wrath or, or judgment or like hell. Let's just kind of push that aside. We want a loving God, just a loving God. Well, actually, this thing, what it tells us is that if, if we push out the wrath, or the judgment, or the hell, we actually have a, a less loving God. You say that again? Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus took this on. He said, I'll take the cup. I'll drink the cup. And if uh, the first sip is making him sweat blood, imagine what happens when he just drinks the whole thing. He's taking on the judgment. He's taking on the wrath. He's taking on all the sin and evil. So it's like, if we say, well, we want to do away with that, then what Jesus has done is very small. He's really not done anything at all. We want a more loving God. We see a loving God and saying, I'm going to take it for them. I'm going to take everything. I'm going to stand in their place. I'm going to take all the, the wrath of all the human evil that ever has happened. I'll take the cup. I'll drink the cup. This passage also answers another big, deep question about, like, well, why does everybody have a chance? You know, how, why does everybody have a chance at salvation? You ever thought about that? You know, the guy who's murdered, the guy who's committed war crimes, the guy who's committed atrocities, or the gal. And then, you know, on their deathbed, you know, come to know the Lord and get the mansion. And have, you're like, you know, that's not fair. It's not fair. This, this answers it. Stay with me. If our Lord took it all on, the cup, God's judgment on all human evil, then everybody has a chance. Everybody has a chance at salvation, redemption. It's never too late. Up to death. Receive Christ. Trust in His work. That's what, the, that's what these words mean. That sometimes like, oh yeah, I heard that in one ear. Trust Christ. Receive Christ. His work. His finished work. His accomplished work. What He's done. Not what we do. Everybody's got a chance. It answers this. He took the cup. So we can all trust in Him and be forgiven and be covered. This is... It's so wonderful. We can't even imagine how wonderful, how good of this, this news is of what Jesus is doing. And moving on real quick. Why did it have to take so long? I want you to see this too. Why did it like, okay, you're like, okay, he died and he took the cup. Why, why can't you just go to the cross? Why does he start suffering here in the garden? And then, you know, he's going to have to get beaten and he's going to go before trial. And people are going to spit on him and they're going to mock him and they're going to hit him. You know, why does it have to like be so extended and so long? Couldn't he just go to the cross? Well, God, why did you do it this way? The key is in verse 39 and verse 42. Jesus says the same thing. He says, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. We have this long progression of pain and suffering to see Jesus' obedience. How much he loved God, how much he loved us. You know, it's, it's interesting that Jesus never asked his disciples for anything. He never did until right now. And he asked, would you please, would you stay, stay with me here? 
you know, stay up, stay awake. And they, they started snoozing on him. And it's, you know, God could have allowed Peter, James, and John to stay awake and like comfort him, be with him, care for him, minister to him. But he didn't, and they fell asleep. And it's almost like God is saying, yep, here's the human race. Here's who you're dying for. They fall asleep on you. Jesus loved us more in this moment. He loved God more in this moment. Like, how did that happen? He obeyed. He saw the cup. He saw everything staring at him in the face. The furnace, hell, the cross. God said, obey me. Jesus did. He loved us more. He looked at his disciples, those he'd taught, and those that followed him. And they fell asleep in his hour of greatest need. And yeah, he thought about all the, the sin and all the evil. And he loves us still. He said, I'll do it. I'm taking it on for them. You know, the Garden of Gethsemane and the Garden of uh, Eden are actually like mirror images. Here's what I mean. Garden of Eden, you have one man, Adam, who disobeyed and lived. Garden of Gethsemane, you have one man, Jesus, who obeyed and died. And God said, obey me. And Jesus says, I will. God says, do it for them. Jesus says, I will. What does this mean other than Jesus obeyed? Here's what it means. Often, please hear me on this. This is like, this is more important than we realize. Often we like, okay, I got saved, so, you know, I got heaven, and okay, Jesus is my life, but now I really got to work to kind of earn his good favor. I really got to work to, to be in good standing with God. So, you know, I got to do my Bible study. You know, I got to help God out. I got to, I got to go on a mission trip. I got to be in a group. I got to do these things so I can be in good standing with God. No, you don't. No, you don't. Here's what I mean. Jesus' obedience. Jesus lived the life you and I could never live. So when God sees us, in our sin, in our, our brokenness, in our bad decisions, when we have Jesus, He sees Jesus. I showed this two weeks ago, and I can't do it every week. I know it's a visual and everything, but all our muck, you know, and I put up, you know, the beer on the table and the deer, not that that was supposed to arrive, but the, the, the deer, I like deer hunting, and, you know, all the travel, education, and work, and I covered it with a white sheet. And so he said, God sees Jesus. This is what I mean by that. When Jesus obeys, he lived the life that we can't. And so we, that's, again, it's trust in Jesus. Lean on Jesus. God sees Jesus when he sees us, if we have him. And that's why you need to have him. So then, uh, you know, close it up. What, is, what, is all this, what does all this mean? You know? What does all this really mean today, today, right now? Well, you could say, well, this is a, a wonderful example. Jesus is a great example. I mean, he, uh, it's a great example of uh, what do you do when nobody's around? What do you do in the dark where nobody can see? What do you do in your dark closet? Uh, Jesus goes to the Father and prays. We have an example of prayer here. We have an example of loving one another. Uh, those who fell asleep on Jesus, he loved. Uh, are we going to love those who fall asleep on us? We fall asleep on God. God loves us. We have this great example. But look, if he is just an example, we will die. 
Jesus is just an example for us. He's just, you know, a good, good example. We see our substitute. That's what I'm trying to say. He says, I will, I will take this. I will stand in their place. He's our substitute. And he's our savior. He saves us. Every Sunday, uh, we ask, uh, maybe in different ways, but we ask, totally give your life to Jesus. Totally unapologetic, give your life to Jesus. And there are two reasons, one of two, and maybe both of them, that we don't. That we don't. One is that we really don't trust Jesus to fulfill the needs of our heart and our life. We're like, hey, I want to, but Jesus, you're really, you're not going to probably go there. I'm not going to get what I want. I mean, I still kind of want to keep my mini gods, you know, my iPhones and my, my travel and my, my things, you know, my, my hunt. And I, you're not going to totally kind of fulfill me, so I'm, I'm not going to totally give my life to you. And then other people would say, well, I, I can't totally give my life to Jesus because uh, I'm going to, I'll probably fail him at some point. I mean, I, I'm good, I'm on the right track, but I, I know, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vomit. I'm going to, I'm not going to live up, you know, I'm going to implode, you know. So we don't trust ourselves or we don't trust Jesus. Uh, this scene, uh, this passage is the answer for that. How could we not trust Jesus when all hell literally was coming down on him and he did not break, nor did he budge, but he didn't just face it, he went into it, he moved into it. How can we not trust him? How can we not trust him that he has our best interests at heart? How can we not trust him that he has a life outlined for us and a home waiting for us and a family that we will see again and be together? And yes, there, there may be challenges and trials and there will be, but he'll be with us. How can we not trust him completely when we see what he's done for us, what he has taken this cup for us? And then how can we ever question that he would be disappointed with us when he saw all of the bad stuff that humanity's done. He's like, man, I'll take it. I'll drink this for them. He'll, he's not going to be disappointed in you. So we can totally give our lives over to him. Totally. Completely. We can trust him with it. In him, you know, we all search for love. We search it, you know, well, a career. I need this career or I need, you know, this person or uh, I need these toys, or I need these joys, uh, I need these things, and they always leave us flat at some point. In Jesus is the love uh, that nothing else can give us. Uh, No relationship, no career, uh, no toy, no moment of joy. And also, in Him, we can deal with all these little cups that we have, and that sometimes we have to drink. We remember the cup that He took for us. It's literally like the father put his arm around the son and said, look at this, man. Look at this world. Look at this history. Either they will perish or you will perish. And Jesus said, let's go. And he took it. We're going to close with a song called Oceans. So obviously, think of swimming. You're in water. And I would just say this, uh, you know, in totally giving your life to Jesus. Some of you uh, out here are drowning. Uh, Hopefully not all, but some of you are drowning. Jesus is our rescue. That's what he meant. He saves us. Give your life to him. Some of you are treading water. Uh, Maybe, again, it's a career, a relationship. You're like, I don't, 
aimlessly, I don't know the direction. Give your life to Jesus. You may not see every step immediately, but he'll lay out a plan for you. Give your life to Jesus. And then some of us swim really well. And I'm not just talking about faking it. I'm like, we swim really well. We've got to give our lives to Jesus too. To say, forgive me for relying on my work and what I've done. My paycheck. My job. My promotion. My good family. My white picket fence. The human heart, it always, we want to look to ourselves and it's what Jesus died for. Human heart, our human heart will fail us. Jesus never will. I ask you to totally give your life to him. And you can do so because he, at the moment when he didn't have to, he did. He did it for you. He did it for me. He took it. Let's pray. God, I pray this Easter we would see in a a greater, stronger, uh, more powerful way um, how you've saved us. Um, How you've saved us. What you've done for us. I pray you would reveal to us the things in our heart, uh, not just things that are holding back, the things that are wrong, uh, the thoughts, uh, the desires, the things that are just contrary to you. And we'd see the ease in just repenting and just coming to you and kneeling before you and saying, Jesus, forgive me and change me and help me rely on you. And we we do it daily because we have to do it daily. I have to do it daily. I pray we trust in you more. I pray we'd see what you've done for us more. We'd see what you took, what you've, what you've done. I pray that for my life. I pray that for the life of this church. And I pray that we would trust in you to help us float, to help us really float and not rely on how good a swimmer we are and not to be afraid even when the storms get rough. And we would trust in you, in your name. Amen.